We uh, are talking about miraculous things these uh, last couple of weeks, and today I want to talk about miraculous missions. And in order to do that, we want to refer to Jesus, who reminded us of the sequence of events that we, if we follow, God will miraculously accompany us. So I hope you'll be encouraged by it. So today's reference is found in Mark's Gospel, chapter 16. I'm going to read verses 15 through 20. Mark 16, beginning at verse 15, our custom is to stand to hear God's word, so as you're able, thank you for doing that, and hear the words of Jesus. And Jesus said to them, go into all the world, preach the gospel to all creation, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned, and these signs will accompany or follow those who believe. In my name they will drive out demons, they will speak with new tongues, they will pick up snakes with their hands, and when they drink deadly poison, it will not hurt them at all. They will place their hands on sick people, and they will get well. After the Lord Jesus had spoken to them, he was taken up into heaven, and he sat at the right hand of God. Then the disciples went out and preached everywhere, and the Lord worked with them and confirmed his word by the signs that accompanied it. I mean, God inspired and instruct us through his word today. You may be seated. Thank you so much. There are just two great things in Christianity. Two great things in Christianity. Not three, not five, not even ten. Just two great things. If your life is confused, disoriented, you're at a crossroads moment, you're not sure about a relationship, you're not sure about your career, you're not sure about your parenting, you're not sure about something, life has upheaval to it, Life is confusing. Life is disorienting. Whatever you find yourself in, if you refer to one of the great things or the second great things, life will tend to sort. Life will tend to orient. Life will tend to settle. Life will tend to get back on track. Just two things, two great things that Christians should be about. How many of you are curious? Okay, there's a few. The first big thing, the first great thing that we are to give our attention to is what's called the great commandment. Jesus said it this way, love God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Love God, love your neighbor. It's, it's the great commandment. It's not, it's not a suggestion, it's not a it's not a recommendation. It's not uh, if, if it can fit it into your schedule. It's none of that stuff. It's, it's a command. It's a great thing. And it's to love God, love your neighbor. We just spent weeks and weeks, six weeks uh, recently talking about sex and relationships and marriage and gender and all those things from a biblical perspective. And you, we can summarize it all by saying this, love God, love your neighbor. Just love people. Love God, love people. And life will tend to sort. The other great thing, again from Jesus, is called a great commission. There's a great commandment, love God, love people. And there's a great commission, this, this great mandate that God has given to all people in all places, the people of God. And that is to go and preach the gospel to the whole world. It's a great commandment. 
There's a great commission. Today I want to talk about this great commission for just a moment, if you will. On your outline, you'll see a few points. The first one is this, and that is the reminder to go. Write it down. We're all to go. Go into the world. You should know that the New Testament was written originally in the language of Greek. So the Greek language has these tenses that you have to learn if you're going to understand the original well. And sometimes words are in a particular tense or phrases are in a tense. And the word go in Mark 16 here from Jesus is in the imperative tense. So when you hear the word imperative, you get the idea this is more than a suggestion. This is more than a good idea. This is more than if you've got time to work this in, you know, you could try it. This is on the imperative tense, and so this is a command of God. This is, this is not optional. This is, this is a command to do something, and Jesus said, I want you to go. Now, who does he want to go? Who's, who, who's the implied persons who are to go in the text? He's talking to the disciples, so that means he's talking to us. So all of God's people are commanded to go. Now, what are we supposed to do? We are to preach that's the second point on your outline, by the way. You want to write that down. Preach the good news. Preach the gospel. That's what gospel means. It means good news. And indeed, it's good news. The gospel of Jesus Christ is wonderful news. It is good news. And you understand why. God being rich in his mercy. God recognizing our hopeless estate when human beings chose to rebel against God's best plan and design. And that sin that entered the world separated us from intimacy and relationship with God. And as a result of that brokenness in relationship with God, God launched a rescue mission. And he sent his only son, Jesus Christ, into the world. Jesus put on an earth suit and he revealed to us not only, not only what God would say, but what God is like. And we saw it. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And so we have an idea of who God is and what he, what he wants for us in the person of Jesus Christ. And Jesus ultimately sacrificed his own life to satisfy the penalty of that rebellion and sin that all of us have created, breaking our relationship with God. And so God has restored, redeemed our relationship because of the work of his son, Jesus Christ. And this is good news because without that hope, without that assurance, Without that work, we would find ourselves in a desperate place. God being rich in his love and mercy toward us made a way for us when there was no way. It's good news. It's great news. The, 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 the angels announced on the night of Jesus' birth, this is glad tidings of a great joy for all the people. For unto us is born in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And so we preach. We go and we preach what? We preach the gospel. I could get a witness in this room today about the power of the gospel. Yes. I could get a witness. Look at, look at Romans chapter 1, verse 16. I'll put it on the screen. This is the Apostle Paul writing to the church at Rome. He said, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation. And I could get a witness in the room today about the power of the transforming wonder of God's glorious good news in Jesus Christ. Can I get a witness right now? My life has changed. My life is different because of what Jesus has done. It's a wonderful thing. It's the gospel. It's the good news. One of my mentors, uh, Bill Henson, he's, he's in heaven now. Dr. Henson told me this story some years ago about a man in the Vietnam era who was Cambodian and, f and fleeing the killing fields of Cambodia. Maybe you recall this horrible moment in history. 
And his sister, this man's sister, was a follower of Jesus. And when she learned that her brother was going to try to get to Thailand to flee the killing fields, she gave him a little pocket New Testament to carry with him. He put it in his knapsack, and he made his journey, made it all the way to Bangkok, Thailand. And he quickly discovered that the pages of this little pocket New Testament were perfect for rolling up his smokes. He never bothered to read it, but day in and day out, page after page, he began to tear the New Testament apart for his smokes. Dedicated smoker. He, he smoked his way through Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And then one day, he reached to the next page in his little New Testament, and he tore the page out. And that day, for the first time, he looked down at the words on the page, and his eyes fell on John 3.16. Come on, what are the... What are the yeah, so, <laughs> so he read the words of John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And he thought to himself, What kind of a God would give his own Son to die for the world? It was so compelling to him. It was so interesting to him. And he remembered the faith of his sister. And he was converted and gave his life to Christ. He said later, he said, I could not smoke John 3.16 because the truth of the words there changed my life. <laughs> Isn't that great? That's the power of the gospel. Then we could tell us, we could tell millions of stories like that. The transforming power of the gospel. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of it, and neither should we be ashamed to preach the gospel. Amen? There are a lot of places in this sermon where amens go. You've already missed a couple, so I'm just... <laughs> Giving you a heads up, there will be a couple more, so get ready, all right? Now, that leads me to the third point of this message. We're already to the last point. How many of you like the way the sermon's going so far? <laughs> it's a good sermon. It's a, like a holiday sermon. Here's the third thing that we learned from Jesus. He said that if you go and you preach the gospel, that provision will follow. Provision will follow. He said when you do this, preaching of the gospel, signs and wonders, the supernatural, divine provision, the provision of God will follow. Now, now note, the verb is follow. So you have to have the right sequence. You have to have it the right order. Yeah, you have to understand the sequence Jesus is describing. He said, you go, you preach the gospel, the good news of Jesus, and when you Go and you preach divine provision, miraculous provision, signs and wonders will follow. The verb is follow. Accompany is the, is the other translated word there. Will follow this activity. So let me put this on the screen because this is an important point. I want you to get it. Divine provision from God never precedes obedience to the Great Commission. It always follows. Always follows. Now, there are all kinds of churches in the world. There are all kinds of churches in our own community. There are all kinds of churches everywhere. But the greatest churches in the world are churches that are committed to this great thing called the Great Commission, the mission of God. The great churches and great individuals and great, great believers in Jesus are all committed. That's why you hear your pastor say, 
many, many times through the course of the year that every believer, every follower of Jesus should be intentionally and strategically engaged in these two great things. Every one of us should be engaged in the great commandment to love God and love your neighbor. And every one of us should be engaged in the other great thing, which is to take the gospel to the ends of the world, be on the mission of God. That's it. That's the point. And we lose sight of that worldview. We, we miss it so easily because we live in this natural world. And it's so easy for us to get caught up in the stuff that happens in the temporary nature of our world. And so our lives become consumed by, by, by the houses we live in and the businesses we, we create and the, and the cars we drive and the clothes we wear and, and, and all of this superficial stuff and all, the, all of the stuff that, that really is temporary going to pass away. So our worldview quickly becomes one where we say, you know, this is the land of the living and life is short. So you might have grab for as much as you can get while you can get it. And so, so we, we, we get, we, we get a, a wrong perspective. We lose our, our biblical vision so easily. All of us are susceptible to this. And so we, we believe and practice that we live in the land of the living and we're going to the land of the dead, but it's just the opposite. Just the opposite is true. Just the kingdom of God is, flip, is this world flipped upside down. We're actually living in the land of the dying. We're all dying. Right now, you're sucking air and getting old, and tomorrow you'll look worse then as you do today. It'll take you longer to look as well today, tomorrow, because you're dying. And as you get older, your body's telling you. You look in the mirror and you go, oh, this is not good. This isn't This is I used to be, but I'm not anymore. It's, it's, it's not good. And we all realize that no one gets out alive. And so the truth is that we live in the land of the dying and we're going to the land of the living where death will be no more. And so we've got to see that worldview. We've got to understand it. So in our todays, in the shortness of our lives now, we've got to be focused on the future. We've got to be focused on the life that is to come because that's the real life. This, this place is just corrupting and dying. But where we're going is a place where we'll never die. That's really great. Yeah. So this is where, this is where the adventure, this is where the excitement is found in, in the here and now, in the life of the church. This is, this is where the romance, if you will, happens in the Christian life when we actually have eyes for the future and live by faith in the now. Someone say faith promise. We live by faith in the now. And so this is how we practice. We understand the sequence of events. If we'll go and we'll preach, then God's divine provision will follow. If we have eyes on eternity and we are, we are offering Christ to people here and there, and we, we have a kingdom worldview, and we know that life is ahead of us, not behind us, then we live by faith in the here and now that God will actually meet the needs that we have, providing for us in miraculous ways so that the mission that we engage is successful and fruitful. Yeah, yeah. And so, and so we, we, have, we have this amazing thing. And there's one thing I've learned. One thing I've learned over these years. And it's every time that God has miraculously provided for me personally, our family, or for us corporately, every example 
a miraculous provision of God has been either a direct or indirect result of our investment, our intention toward mission. Don't let that, don't let that statement go past you. I want you to hear it, absorb it, receive it. Every miracle of God's provision in my life personally and in our life corporately has been the result of our intention in mission. Here's what we know. You take care of God's mission, God will take care of you. Jesus said, you go and preach, and these signs will accompany you. You do God's mission in God's way, in God's timing, and you will never lack God's provision. I'm telling you something now. I'm telling you the truth. This is a principle of the kingdom of God. God said, if you embrace my heart, you care about what I care about, you engage with eternity in mind in the world in which you live, and you steward well the gifts and resources that I place at your disposal, and you do so with a kingdom perspective, and I will miraculously provide for you. And I'm, I'm giving witness to that. You're looking at a guy who's practiced this for 50 years. And I've seen miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle, haven't we? Miracle after miracle after miracle. It's amazing. Many years ago, out uh, at the original church, Union Chapel, we had, we had an annual budget the first year that we pastored this church of $20,000. That was the annual budget. The, the budget for the whole year was $20,000. And I asked the leadership of the church at the time if we might not give something to missions. And I said, how about this? We take a tithe, 10% of our total budget, and designate it to missions. We just have a separate line item on our budget at the very bottom. We call it missions, and we'll give $2,000. That's 10% of 20. We'll give $2,000 to missions. And there was some reluctance to do that because for 100 years or so, folks out in a little cornfield church had discovered that you know, there's there limited ability to accumulate assets and resources and and, you know, there's all kinds of stories with the, the parishioners at the time about fixed incomes and, and bad economy and blah, 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 all that stuff that people think about. And, and so it was hard, and folks were reluctant. And I, so I had to make a deal. I said, okay, if it doesn't come in, it'll be the last thing we pay. If, it, if we, at the end of a quarter, say, if we've got any money extra from our budget, we'll apply it to this missions and we'll give it away. And they said, well, okay, we can put it on the, we can put it on the budget, but it won't come in. Well, it did come in. It did come in because the Bible says that if you'll go and you'll preach, then divine provision will follow. <laughs> and as it turns out, God is good for his word. And so the first year we gave $2,000. And the next year we gave $2,500 because our total budget was $2,500 the next year. And we just kept building on that. We've done this for now for many, many years. And the other day I sat down and just asked the question, how much money has Union Chapel given to causes outside of the four walls of our church, locally and globally? We, just with a kingdom-minded, a kingdom investment, the mission of God in the world, how much money has Union Chapel given over the years? And that number is somewhere in the ballpark of $12 million. $12 million. <laughs> Somebody... Now, if someone, had, all those years ago, if someone had been out, out in the cornfields, you know, and we were saying, okay, let's trust, let's have, trust God for $2,000 for our mission budget, 
If someone had said to us, you know, you guys keep this up, and before long, you'll, you'll have given $12 million to the cause of the kingdom of God in the world. If someone had told us that back in the day, we'd have smiled at you and said, your mother dropped you on your head when you were small, didn't she? I mean, you've, you've been damaged. You have brain damage, and so you don't, you're not thinking straight. I mean, no one would believe that. No one would believe it. And yet that's exactly what's happened. We're living in the midst of a miracle. See, this is where most Christians and this is where most churches fail. We fail because we see things backwards. We're always asking first, well, how much will that cost? It's the wrong first question. It's a good question to ask, and it has to be asked because, you know, you've got to process that part of it. But it's not the first question you ask. It's not even the second or third question you ask. The first question you ask is based on this list of questions. What in the world is God doing? Where is he doing it? Who is yet to be reached? And how can we be involved? What is God doing? Where is he doing it? Who's yet to be reached? How can we be involved? This is the set of questions Union Chapel has used for, for 40 years now when we ask the question about missions. What is God doing? Where is he doing it? Who's yet to be reached? How can we engage? You may be interested to know, you won't hear this in any other church in the city today, that every place in the world where there are people of European descent, predominantly white in skin color, every place in the world, which is Europe and North America, where the predominant population demographic is white European descent, those are the places in today's world where the church is shrinking. In fact, 6,500 people per day walk away from the church of Jesus Christ in Europe and North America. Now, that's the bad news. The good news is that, for example, in Africa, 16,500 people are coming to faith every day, every day on the continent of Africa. Well, that's good news, right? And then you've got Asia, and you've got China, and you've, and you've got Central and South America. People are coming to faith. So people with brown skin and black skin, these are peoples around the world that are coming to, and yellow skin, they're coming to faith in Jesus by a rate of 70,000 people per day. The kingdom of God is expanding. So people, people push back and say, why are we planting churches in North America? Aren't there enough churches in North America? Listen to me. North America is quickly becoming the largest mission field in the world. We don't, do, we're not, we don't take special offerings here. We take up one special offering per year at Union Chapel. If you're in the church today, you're visiting today, you go, typical church, all you do is talk about money. Stop it. We take up one special offering a year. It's for Christmas, the Christmas offering for needy children in the community or some other benevolent cause like that. So listen, if you're upset about the, talking about money, listen, just keep your money. Just keep it. Just keep it. Really, keep it. Put it in a can. Sit on the can. <laughs> Live like this. Great. See, that'll work out great for you. Seriously, just stop... Just stop complaining about someone who cares about kingdom things. Just stop complaining about it. Keep your money. God doesn't need anything you have. Trust me. He was getting along just fine in the universe managing that before you got here. He'll be fine while you're here. So just keep it. Seriously. Do you feel my sincerity? Keep your money. Nobody needs it. God doesn't need it. Seriously. God will, God will take care of the rest of us. 
So, so this is how it works. This is how it follows. This is what God does. This is, how, this, is, this is the design of God. This is the economy of God's kingdom. God's eyes are running to and fro throughout the whole earth, looking for people that he can trust, people that he can rely on. Union Chapel is a place like this. God knows that I'm a leader like this. I've been doing this for decades in my life personally and in our church. We, we preach the gospel. We, we live out on the margins. We live by faith. You say, the, a church like this, you must have lots of money in the bank. You know, but we don't have any money in the bank. We pass these silver buckets every week. We live by faith. We live, by, we live hand to mouth. I have, I have this bias. You know, there's some, there, there are justifiable reasons to stockpile money in ministry. I get it. I'm not, I'm not opposed to that. We just don't do it here. Because God's always given us opportunities. And so we seize on the opportunity. God opens the door, we walk through it. Robin, Robin Wood last week was talking about uh, these church plants that we've done and the numbers and so forth. You know, last Easter, we had uh, 2,300 people here at Easter for our services. And the six church plants that we have done so far uh, also had that, uh, tw- about 2,300 people. So, so we had 4,600 people in our services with all the, on Easter just this past spring. That's an amazing thing. The church, our church planner, Ryan Miller, in Marriott, Ohio, he's, he's, uh, he's, his church operates out of an industrial park right now. It's the nicest building in Marriott, Ohio, owned by an individual businessman, beautiful park, beautiful parking, a big food court that's already in this industrial park. And, and so a section of it is, is Pathway Community Church, our new church there. And we're out of room. And the sanctuary has about 150 seats in it. And so Ryan is filling it up every seat. Two weeks ago, every seat in two services was filled. There's no place left to sit down. And so we made an appeal to this businessman. We said, look, we need more room, but we can't afford, we can't afford a lot more right now. And so here's a business plan that, that we believe will work. And so with this business plan in mind, would you build a 600-seat auditorium in your business park, invest $600,000 of your own money, Mr. Businessman, <laughs> to build this 600-seat auditorium so our church can grow at basically the same price we're paying you? <laughs> Isn't that funny? Isn't that just, that's just silly. It's just goofy. We were told he's not an easy guy to do business with. He's, you know, he, he's a businessman. So he's, he, he lines his ducks up. And he, and he doesn't suffer foolishness, that sort of thing. You know, we, we respect him. And we said, how about this? We want you to invest $600,000 of your own money so that we can reach more people for Jesus for the same price. You know what he said. You know where I'm going. He went, okay. All right, I'm going to do that. Everybody say miracles. These signs will follow. These signs will follow. We told you about the story about Randy Craning, our good friend. We sent him out to Fort Collins 12 years ago. He bought a building. It, it was too small. His church would go to 300, fall back to 250, 300, 250. This, he did this for almost a decade because he's out of room. But in Fort Collins, Colorado, they're selling real estate by the square foot, not by the acre. You pay for the square footage. There are no buildings. There are no empty buildings in Fort Collins. The economy there is percolating. 
And so supply and demand drives the prices up. And so here's Randy. He's got 250 people in his church. He doesn't have he, How can you possibly raise the kind of money that it would take to buy just dirt in the city, let alone build a big building? So you just get stuck. So Randy, for years, has been praying, Lord, you have to give me a building. Please give me a building. God, you know we can't afford one. Give us a building. <laughs> and so I've told you this story. So two years ago, some church, the biggest church in Fort Collins, Colorado, finds itself in crisis. They, they own 17 acres in, the, in prime real estate right in the middle of Fort Collins, Colorado, and they've built a 60,000-square-foot state-of-the-art ministry campus on 17 primo acres of real estate. And a long story short is they call up Randy Craney one day and say, hey, Randy, would you mind taking over our facility and let your church meet over here? Randy said, you want to give me a $25 million building? <laughs> and they said, yeah, we just want to give it to you. These signs, and they did. They said, here are the keys. Here's your office. Here's your 900-seat auditorium. Here's your church. We think it's worth at least $25 million. <laughs> they just handed it to us. These, Jesus said these signs will follow. Now, last week on Saturday night, about five minutes before Robin was done with his sermon, a week ago, I'm sitting next to Beth. Where did my faith promise card go? There. Um, and I was holding my faith promise, minding my own business. I don't. I don't like this process. I'll tell you why. God always messes with me. I don't like to be uncomfortable. I like it comfortable. I like it safe. I like it predictable, mostly. <laughs> Except those occasions when I go crazy. And so I'm sitting there minding my own business, and God drops this number in my head for our personal promise to faith promise in 2019 and I went no 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 I can't that can't I can't do it that that's too much I can't get there from here you know I, I'm a tither I so I tithe and I, you want me to give that much on top of that I, I can't do it so but the number was there and I you know so it was there five minutes later Robin's done with his sermon and now we're starting the the final song and Beth looks over at me, and with that little grin that she has, those big brown sparkly eyes, she looks over at me, and she said, hey, God just told me what our faith promise should be next year. <sighs> and, you know, her cheerfulness about it is really annoying. I didn't say, oh, how interesting. God just told me a number five minutes ago. I wonder if they're the same number. Uh, let's have a conversation about I didn't go there. I just, this is all I said to her. I just looked at her and I said, say it. Just like that. Because we've been through this so many times. She says the exact same number that I had just heard five minutes earlier. And I just went, dang, shoot, dang it. Because <laughs> it irritates me. Because it just forces me into discomfort forces me into discomfort you've been thinking about this praying about this listen if you're happy about your missions giving happy about it you're comfortable with it you know you feel good feel good about it there's a song in your heart 
have little jingles going through your mind about it? If all that's true, uh, God probably didn't have anything to do with it. I've discovered in my life, when God asks me to do certain things, it keeps me up at night. You want me to do what? Jesus has this uh, response to that, my question like that. He just says, yeah, that's what I want you to do, but you don't have to do it. I can find somebody else. If you don't, don't want to be part of what I'm doing, that's fine. You're a free moral agent. Do whatever you want. But God, it just seems so, it just, it's so outrageous. Why would you want me to do that? Listen, you don't have to do what I say. And I don't have to bless you either. You do whatever you want. I have to bless your life or your ministry. Just go, just go on ahead. Choose your own course. Play it safe. You know, keep your hose in this bucket that says natural assets. You know, the, the predictable amount of money that's going to go through your hands in a given year. Well, I can gauge based on, no, I pretty much know what I'm going to have to steward this year. That's the natural bucket. He said, you can keep your... You can keep your hose in that bucket, draw from that. Or there's this other bucket. This is the faith promise bucket. This has God written on it. This is the one that says, I will supply all of your needs according to my riches in glory by Christ Jesus. This is the bucket that has no limitations. Doesn't worry, doesn't panic, doesn't rationalize, doesn't fret over the stuff. This is the God bucket. Or he said, you can put your hose in that one. See what I might do. We're encouraging this year, we're encouraging our children. You'll be hearing this, moms and dad. Your children are going to come home saying, mom and dad, please help me pray about my faith promise this year. In our youth group, our teenage ministries, they're going to be talking more about faith promise this year. Because this isn't about how much money some 12-year-old is going to make in the course of the year. This is about teaching a 12-year-old how to place their trust in a God who has limitless resources. And if someone 10 years old can learn that when they're 10, they can live that way their whole life and they will see the provision, miraculous provision of God, follow them their whole life. I know, it's really good. So this is about faith. So we're going to receive these today. This is the Dano. You've been thinking and praying about this. Uh, some of you have written down a number already. Maybe you want to cross that out, put a different number in. <laughs> and we're going to collect them during the closing song. And again, this is all voluntary. This is not, you don't have to do this. Some of, you, some of you are right now going, this is the last, I'm never coming to this church again because all they talk about is money. Just take it with you as you go. Make sure you don't put anything in the offering. Don't write anything down. Just take it, take your stuff and go. Hope it works out for you. I'm serious as a heart attack. See, I've been walking with Jesus almost 50 years. I happen to know that he'll not be beholding to you. He'll not be indebted to you. If Jesus says to you, just like he says to all of us, if you will obey me and have a kingdom perspective and recognize that this world is, you're just passing through and you're a steward in the stuff that God gives you right now, God owns it all. You, you just happen to have a stewardship of some portion of it. 
And, and, and you can either choose to obey God with, a, with an eternal purview or you can, you can just grab for all the gusto you can get. Get all you can, put it in a can, sit on a can. You can live that way. Most people do. Go join the majority. This is the way most people live. And I hope that works for you. I'm not, I'm not going to go through life trying to figure it out on my own. I want to go through life expecting God is going to break in and break through and provide a way. And you know, the stories I've told you this morning, you can't have these stories if you don't, if you don't live by faith. Can't have them. Well, so, you know, if God would perform a miracle and, and I would receive some kind, of, some kind of special windfall, you know, maybe I'm going to buy that lottery ticket. If I hit God, I promise. St- would you stop? Stop it. Just obey God and watch him work. I, would, I always feel a level of frustration at this moment. Every year I talk about this. I would, and the reason I feel frustration is because I want so much for you to get it. Because if you get this part of your life right, it will open up a whole vista of your, of your faith. It will change everything. If you get this part of your life right, just about everything in your life will straighten out. It's an amazing thing. It's a powerful force. Jesus said more about this, this issue of stewardship than he did anything else. You understand that, don't you? There are more verses in the Bible about this subject than any other subject. It's not a coincidence. It's so powerful, so important, and so, so difficult to do because of all the pressure points. So you just, you just, uh, you just uh, and again, it's voluntary, but write down some amount per month or week or on an annual basis. That's what Beth and I will do. We'll just put that big number down. <laughs> it's big to us. And, and we'll, we'll tear this top part off. It's perforated. And the ushers will come to the aisles in just a moment during the closing song and pick them up. Let me show you one more verse. Mark 16, 20. Then the disciples went out, preached everywhere, and the Lord worked with them and confirmed his word by the signs that followed. Anybody feel that besides me? My goodness. Listen, God's up to something. He sure is. And I want to be part of it. I hope you do too. Would you stand with us as we prepare to sing?